Praise the Lord. What a good-looking group of people. Amen. And I ought to know. That's right. (laughs) What an opportunity we have this morning to enter into the presence of God and to receive of Him. Amen. He is the King of kings and He's the Lord of lords. Yet, He deigns to look down upon us, His children. What an awesome thing that that is. That the Creator of everything, the Creator of heaven and earth, He knows us by name. He desires an ongoing relationship with us. He desires to provide our every need. He wants us to be satisfied in Him. That is amazing to me. So we have an opportunity today to do exactly that, to enter into His presence as the body of Christ, to minister not only to the Lord our God with our worship and with our praise and with our giving of thanks, but to one another, to esteem other better than ourselves, to submit ourselves one to another. Amen. In ministry, to look to the needs, the cares, and the concerns of those around us. What an opportunity we have today to be the hands and feet of Jesus right here today. Let's all stand, please. And let's turn now to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's seek His face. Let's call on His name. And let's see what He will do in our services here today. Lord Jesus, we worship You. We are so thankful for You. We come into Your presence with thanksgiving and into Your courts with praise. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. We magnify You. We worship You. We laud and we magnify the Most High God in this place. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence here today and for the opportunity you've given us to enter therein. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you would assume control, that you would assume authority in this service here, that you are sovereign. You are sovereign in this place. You are sovereign in every place. Hallelujah, Jesus. We acknowledge the sovereignty of the Lord our God, your absolute power and authority here. Thank you, Jesus, for the ministration of the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Jesus, that all of your heart, all of your mind will be manifest in this place today. Let your word go forth. Let it be free. Let faith be released into this assembly today to do your perfect work. Help us, Lord Jesus, as one body, bind together as one, entering into the presence of Almighty God to seek your face, to receive from you, to feel your touch, to hear your voice to spend time in your presence. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. We acknowledge that you are God in this and in every place. We acknowledge that you are sovereign and that you sit upon the throne. We acknowledge that your word is forever settled in heaven, that it is yea and amen. Hallelujah, Jesus. We will stand upon it. Our faith will rest upon it. We will build our lives upon it. The very word of God. Hallelujah, Jesus. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you would minister to each and every need here today. Hallelujah. And that your great and mighty name would be glorified as we worship you, as we praise you, as we receive from you today. Let the name of the Lord Jesus Christ be magnified, lifted up, and glorified here. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We magnify you today. We worship you. We worship the King of kings. We worship the Lord of lords the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We delight ourselves in the Lord our God. 
And we rejoice today in the God of our salvation. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God, praise God, praise God. You are an awesome God. You are a glorious Savior, a wondrous King. Hallelujah, Jesus. We delight to lift you up. We delight to offer unto you the sacrifice of praise. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness to us. Your so great faithfulness to your people today. Your faithfulness to the Word of God. The covenant promises that you've established with us. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Help us to minister unto you. Help us to wait upon the Lord our God today. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. He is a faithful God, church. He is altogether faithful. When we are unfaithful, He remains faithful to us. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you for standing today. You can be seated. <clears throat> By way of review, uh, we didn't do a, one of the Sunday school lessons last week, uh, but by way of review, I thought I would remind us uh, of our initiatives, those things that uh, will be ongoing from this point forward, teaching Bible studies, sharing our personal testimony, uh, the one name that God has laid upon each of our hearts that we want to focus on in prayer and in fasting, that we want to focus on in ministry, that the Lord Jesus Christ would reach this one individual through us. Amen. Continue to pray for that individual. Continue to, to allow the Lord to develop a burden in you for that individual. Amen. There is so much pain in this world. There are so many people hurting, confused, fearful. And the answers that they're looking for are right here. They're found in, in the Word of God. They're looking everywhere and anywhere else. They'll not find it. They'll not find what they're seeking. When I was in the world, I was born and raised a Lutheran. I knew some truth, but not all truth. And the Lord let me to know somehow that there was more out there. <clears throat> I didn't discover that for myself either. But the Lord somehow revealed that to me. There's got to be more than this. I didn't know where to look. I had no clue. So I looked where I knew to look. And when all the churches failed, I started looking at other religions, New Age. Thank God the Lord found me before I got into that mess. <clears throat> but I believe with all my heart that when you seek truth, when you're hungry for truth, the Lord's not going to leave you hungry. He is going to help you find truth. When you're seeking Him, you're going to find Him when you seek Him with all your heart. Amen. Our lesson today is called Ruth and the Redeemer. Our scripture text is going to be found in Ruth chapter 2, 
verses 11 through 13. Ruth chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Ruth is a very interesting book. It's interesting to me primarily, at least at this point in time, uh, because of the kinsman redeemer. And how that that is a type and shadow of Jesus Christ. Amen. But anyway, let's get into this. Ruth chapter 2, verses 11 through 13 states this. And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. That is a commendable trait, folks. How many of us would leave father and mother, family, to go to a foreign land? People do it. Go to the deepest, darkest reaches of third world countries. No running water, no electricity, and they go and minister the Word of God to a people they didn't even know existed maybe a year ago. That is amazing to me. Verse 12, The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. And she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for that thou hast comforted me, and for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thine handmaids. It was a day like many others in a large hospital food court near a major university. A distraught man sat at one of the tables, surrounded by numerous popular restaurants. Various guns and ammunition rested on the table as the man considered his next move. All around him, people hustled and bustled. Doctors and nurses grabbed a quick bite before returning to their areas. Families sought comfort food amidst challenging situations. Some assisted their spouses, others their elderly parents, and still others their children. Despite the seeming obvious threat to everyone in the vicinity, surprisingly, no one noticed the agitated man and his cache of weapons. As a psychological battle continued in his war-torn mind, families and co-workers chatted, Trays slammed onto tables and loudspeaker announcements tried to catch someone's attention. Whether the noise of the conversations and all the other actions and interactions would continue or be interrupted by the sound of bullets remained a pregnant question. For the man, the situation felt like the intense humidity before a fierce storm. A thunderous downpour full of lightning-fast bullets seemed inevitable. For the oblivious people, the potential attack would be akin to an earthquake or tsunami. No one would see it coming until it was too late. Providentially, someone did notice the man and his table full of weapons. The individual approached the distressed man calmly and began talking with him, doing everything to avoid escalating a situation ripe for calamity that would come to fruition and immediately rot into a story for the evening news. The individual tried to help the man rather than judge him. The two talked, and the situation took a turn for the better. The man needed mental, emotional, and spiritual help. The advocate who stood in the gap and made up the hedge saved many lives that day, including the life of the would-be assassin. The advocate succeeded because he met tension with tenderness, self-hate with brotherly love. 
and heartache with heartfelt listening. Many lives were saved due to the discernment of someone who did not miss the cue to intercede for a person in need. When we fail to recognize others in need, we open up the world to more sin, heartbreak, and calamity. While we recognize that everyone should be responsible for his or her actions, we cannot deny the call to be a community of believers who care about fellow saints and love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Hopefully, we'll recognize opportunities to meet the needs of others. Like Ruth, we must not miss our cue to do the right thing. Although conventional wisdom said she should leave a bitter old woman and go back to her people, Ruth loved and, Ruth's love and care for Naomi compelled her to act. Ruth believed that bitter Naomi could once again live up to her name and be pleasant. Ruth shared God's love with Naomi even though she knew very little about Naomi's God. Amen. So the book of Ruth. It begins with famine, death, and failure. It ends in fullness, life, and blessing. Ruth shows us that God cares for all the needs in our lives and that no matter what happens or what decisions we make, God can and still intervene. Amen. Aren't you thankful for that? All I can do is speak from personal experience. I know what my life was like before the Lord. You guys do too. Know what your lives were like. Amen. I can only imagine where I would be today but for God. I can only imagine. If I were still alive, I think that I would be most miserable. Depressed, bitter, probably a broken old man. And I'm not old. But the world has a way of using people up and spitting them out. But God did intervene. And He took the mess that was my life and He turned everything around. Yeah, I made bad decisions. Yeah, I could have done better in probably every single area. But He took care of Him anyway. He fixed Him anyway. Am I responsible for my actions? Of course I am. Absolutely. We all are. The choice is mine and mine alone. No one put a gun to my head to do those things or or to not do other things. I chose to do them, just like I do today. I choose. And the consequences of those choices are mine to bear, just like your choices are yours to bear. But when we mess up, folks, when we make a mess of things, God will still intervene. When we repent, when we take it to Him in prayer, He can still fix those things. That's what He does best. We're in the days of the judges and are introduced to a man named Elimelech and his family. We see that they're trying to deal with a famine in Bethlehem, a city whose name means house of bread in Hebrew. Imagine the irony there. The house of bread is run dry. Elimelech decides to travel to Moab because he's heard there's food in in that land. He left the land of promise to go to the enemy's camp 
to get his needs satisfied. Now, to be fair to Elimelech, there is some biblical precedent for leaving the promised land during times of famine. We see that famine sent Abraham and Sarah to Egypt and to Gerar. Isaac and Rebekah stayed in Gerar during a famine. Jacob and his family moved to Egypt because of famine. But there are some things to consider here as well. Jacob and his children went into Egypt by the will of God. Genesis 46, 2 through 4, it says, God spake unto Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, he said, here am I. He said, I am God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great nation. I will go down with thee into Egypt, and I will also surely bring thee up again. And Joseph shall put his hand upon thine eyes. Maybe not the express command of God, but certainly by the permission of God. He went down into Egypt. Isaac and Rebekah went into Gerar by the will of God. Genesis 26, 1 through 3 says, There was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. And the Lord appeared unto him and said, Go not down into Egypt. Dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee, and will bless thee. For unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. Jumping down to verse 6 says, Isaac dwelt in Gerar. In Abraham and Sarah's case, we see no director from the Lord one way or another. But I have to observe that the promise had not yet been fulfilled. The promised land had not yet been given. Abimelech, I'm sorry, Elimelech, however, leaves the land of promise to settle in the land of Moab. Now, the Moabites, they are not exactly the best friends of Israel. In fact, they are the enemies of Israel. And Elimelech leaves, we can say it in modern terminology, he left the church. Because there was more provision out in the world. Would you leave the kingdom of God because it looks better in the world? God's not meeting my needs. I have this need and he's not answering. He's not doing what I need him to do. I need more money. I need this. I need that. So if God can't provide it for me or won't provide it for me, I'll go get it somewhere else. Now again, to be fair, Elimelech, I don't know how bad the famine was, but it couldn't have been very good. And he needed, he had a family to feed. When your family is starving... We know that in material testing, most materials look perfect, just sitting there on the shelf. But when you start subjecting them to various stresses and heat and intense cold, you start seeing the stress fractures. You start seeing the weaknesses of the material that you're testing. And God can do the same thing to us. When things are going great, 
plenty of money in the bank, plenty of food on the shelves. Jesus is awesome. I love God. I love church. Anyone would say that. But when the shelves are barren, when there's no money in the bank and the bills are coming due, bankruptcy is just around the corner. When the stress comes and the heat comes, those fractures start to appear. The weaknesses in our faith start to appear. And for those of us that may not be as strong as we thought we were, we start looking elsewhere. We start looking elsewhere because our faith is not in God. Our faith was probably never truly in God. But when our faith remains in God, when the stress comes and I remain resilient, when the heat comes and I remain sure, folks, God comes through every single time. It's certainly not on my time scale, on my schedule. Why should it be? Think about that. He is sovereign. He's the king. He's the Lord God Almighty. Why should he start conforming himself to, to my schedule? Does that even make sense? I need to conform myself to his schedule. I need to trust that whatever time frame he's looking at is the best one for me. That's what needs to happen. And when I can't do that, then I'm going to look somewhere else. And Elimelech, again, to be fair, he was in a pretty, pretty tough strait here. No food. Mouths to feed. But he should have continued to trust in the promise of God. And not look to the world, not look to the enemies of God, the Moabites. Is the promise of God lessened or made invalid because you're asked to wait on God? I say thee nay. It's not. Unfortunately, his decision proved to be a fatal one. He went into the enemy's camp seeking provision, seeking to make things right for his family. How did that turn out? Not only did he end up dead, but his sons ended up dead as well. Our choices always have consequences, folks. And again, I'm not trying to, to minimize the tough choice that he had. But there's, there's tough choices and to spare in our future. How will we meet them? How will we meet those tough choices that are to come? When times get tough, folks, how do we respond? 
Any religion works when things are easy. Every system works when things are going just fine. But this, this truth, the truth of Scripture, this works no matter what. This works in every, every, every situation. If we will remain faithful to God, if we will continue to submit ourselves to God, He will remain faithful to us. But because Elimelech went outside of the promises of God, went outside of the covenant that he had with his God, he was left to his own devices. If I leave the the solace of the church, if I leave the, the protective confines of the word of God, and I go out and live life according to my standards, my, my ideas of right and wrong. God still loves me. But I'm outside of His protection now. Those rules, those regulations that stifle me and, and hold me down are there for my protection. They are there to protect me. Again, the obvious example, why can't I play in traffic, Dad? It looks fun out there. Well, maybe, but you might die. Let's just keep you safe. Keep you out of traffic. God wants to keep us safe and protected. I go out into the world and start living like the world. Those protections are gone. I have jumped the boundaries of God's protection by choice. And the consequences are mine to bear. When we reject the promise of God to find solace and refuge, help outside of God's provision, destruction is always the end result. Ultimately, at the end of the day, destruction is the end result, folks. It may, it may be quick. It may take a long time. But destruction is what awaits us when we forsake God. He left his wife a widow. And bereaved of her sons. He wanted the very best for him. I believe that with all my heart. He did what he did for the right reasons. But he made a poor choice. He did incorrectly. Naomi decides to leave Moab. After all of this takes place and head back to her homeland. She has nothing in Moab. What does she have in Israel? Well, there's not a whole lot to look for there either, actually. She's a widow. She's been gone from home a long time now. She still has family there that can help. But her situation is not a good one. And so Naomi, she gives in to despair. And she expresses her despair, her destitution to her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpha. She states the futility of following her to her homeland. She has no sons for them to marry. She's too old to have kids now. And even if she could, are you going to wait around for them to come of age? 
There's no sense in, in staying with me. Go back. Go back to your gods. Go back to your homeland. <clears throat> well, Orpha heard it loud and clear. And she returned. Now, maybe Orpha was already looking for a way out of this awful situation. Maybe she saw the writing on the wall. Thought, yeah, this is a sinking ship. I got I to gotta get out of here. Or maybe she really wanted to stay and help, but Naomi made a lot of sense and talked her out of it. Maybe Orpha was saddened by Naomi's speech. Maybe she was relieved. But in any case, whatever the situation was, she decided to return home. Ruth, however, remained by Naomi's side. Now, when you look at this in any logical or common sense view, this was a very bad decision. She should have cut herself loose of this thing. Cut your losses and try to salvage something before it's too late. If Naomi were a widow, she could find kinfolk to assist her. But if Ruth accompanies her, they're going to assume Ruth will provide for her mother-in-law. There's no scenario here where this makes a lick of sense for Ruth to come back with Naomi. None. It makes no sense at all. The right thing to do, the best thing for Ruth to do, would be to cut loose, go back home, and try to salvage something of this life. Get remarried, raise a family. Whatever the situation was. But tying herself to Naomi is a lose-lose situation. Nevertheless, Ruth remained steadfast, refusing to leave Naomi. Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, Excuse me. Whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God, my God. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. She sounds pretty clear. She sounds pretty determined. I mean, her statement is pretty plain to me. Not a lot of room for interpretation here. No matter what Naomi said, no matter how she acted toward Ruth, Ruth stuck by her. She made a choice. She made a conscious decision to stick by Naomi no matter what. I have to imagine that Ruth knew the situation, that she understood what she was getting into, but she did it anyway at great personal cost. Are we able to look past the words of others, see their hurt and their pain, and minister to them? Are we able to take time out of our busy schedules to call someone on the phone, to come alongside them, to minister? Or are we just too busy? We're a busy people, folks. We all, we all know that. We all understand that. 
Our society runs 90 miles a minute. And it's getting faster all the time. Sure, I've said this before, but I was interested to discover, speaking with some missionaries that were coming over from third world countries, how that they needed to uh, they needed to hide away for a week or two, just to transition back into the United States, because of how fast everything is here, how quick everything moves. It doesn't move like that in other countries. But here, it moves so fast, it'll make your mind spin if you're not used to it. Time is more precious commodity than anything else we possess. That's why it's so hard to give up any of it. Maybe that's why the Lord more and more asks that of us. Time. Our precious time. We must care for the hurting folks. What did Jesus do when he was on earth? He ministered to people. He came alongside people. He healed the sick. He cleansed the lepers. He did all of that. Ministry. Ministering to the needs of others, whatever those needs might be. Now, when people are in pain, they're very unpredictable. A lot of us already know this. You try to help someone who's, who's wounded, and they might react any number of ways. They might scream in anger. They might scream at you as if it's your fault. You had nothing to do with it. You're trying to help. They might shut down and say nothing. Put up a wall. Put up defenses. Because they don't want to get hurt again. They might lash out and try to hurt you. They might <clears throat> deflect and minimize their pain in the hopes that you'll go away. Yeah, I'm fine. It, yeah, there, there's some stuff going on, but... I'll be okay. It's just a thing. It'll pass. When it's really something far greater, far deeper than that. But if they answer that way, they'll get rid of you. They might talk crazy because of everything they're going through. But whatever the reaction, folks, we can't allow them to dissuade us from ministering to their needs. Now, one might argue and reason well i'm not a trained counselor i don't have a phd in psychiatry what am i supposed to do well that's true as far as i know no one here has a phd in psychiatry but folks we are equipped and we are commissioned to minister to the needs of those around us we have the word of god We have the Word of God, and we can minister that to people. We have love to share. We have companionship to share. And our feelings of inadequacy, or any feelings at all for that matter, do not negate this fact. We can feel inadequate in many situations. I I have no idea what to do here. I don't know what to say to this person. Say a quick prayer and let the Lord speak through you. 
you have the Holy Ghost. This is God's perfect will for you to minister in this situation. You are inadequate, but God through you is not. Amen. Maybe it's time to mention again that we need to see ourselves as God sees us. We need to realize who we are in God. I'm not the person that I was before I came to the Lord. That person was wholly inadequate. That person could not minister to anyone's needs. He couldn't even minister to his own needs. But now God can use me, and God can use you. He can speak through you. He can minister through you. When we pray with someone, God can touch that person. God can put words into your mind, and you just speak them out. And that's exactly what they needed. You are wholly adequate through God to minister to these needs, folks. Ruth's encounter with Boaz. Because of Ruth's faithfulness to Naomi, God blessed them both by putting her on a divine trajectory to give Naomi what she needed. Naomi may not have any more sons left to give Ruth, but maybe Ruth could return the favor. When someone died in Israel, a family member, a kinsman redeemer, could redeem the property of the fallen relative and raise up a child that counted as the child of the dead family member. The kinsman redeemer. God would ultimately orchestrate events such that Naomi would hold a child that counted as her own. God knows every one of our needs and graciously meets all of them. Amen. So Ruth and Naomi come to Israel. Ruth goes into the field and starts gleaning. Ruth 2 and 3 says she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. And I assure you, this was pure coincidence. Just a roll of the dice. How lucky is she? No, of course not. God had intentionally placed Ruth in Boaz's view and under Boaz's protection. Leviticus 23.22 says, When ye reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not make clean riddance of the corners of thy field when thou reapest. Neither shalt thou gather any gleaning of thy harvest. Thou shalt leave them unto the poor and to the stranger. I am the Lord your God. Well, Boaz obeyed this, but he went a step farther. He told his servants, Let some grain fall. Let it fall on the ground so that Ruth can pick that up too. Boaz was described as a man of substance which indicated his wealth. But as we progress through this account, it also reveals unto us his character. We see here that what appears as coincidence or simply chance may very well be the hand of God in your life. I don't believe in coincidence, folks. I haven't for a very long time. There are no coincidences, not in a Christian's life. No, sir, no ma'am, no way, no how. Mm Mm-mm. God's hand is in all of this. 
When I signed up to uh, join the military, I've shared all this before, but it's relevant. I wanted to go infantry because I was going to go special forces and be Rambo. So that, that was the that was the fastest ticket in. So I went in, and they said there's no slots available for infantry. And I'm like, I was no what? You're all full up on infantry. You don't need any more. Serious? I, I was dumbfounded. I'd never heard of that before. You always need infantry. You always need them. That's, that's everyone's secondary MOS is infantry. That's everyone's secondary MOS. So I'm like, well, what's the closest thing to infantry? Artillerymen. Let's try that. Plenty of those. Okay, fantastic. So I went in. Jump school, blah, 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 went in the 82nd. Well, shortly, well, not shortly, but thereafter, they opened up a, a 198 Airborne Battalion, the only one in the world, and they transferred me to that. Scared me to death because everyone in there, except for about five of us, were complete cherries. They, they called them that because of the Red Beret, no crest or anything. Anyway. No experience. They had their five jumps. And uh, it was a disaster. That first jump was horrible. But anyway, um, I got transferred to this unit. Didn't want to. I was very happy where I was at. And then, sometime after that, someone got transferred into my section uh, who would later win me to the Lord. Just a series of coincidences, right? Just random events. It seemed like it at the time, but it's not. There was no infantry slots for a reason. I was transferred to another battalion for a reason. He was transferred to where he was for a reason. Also that I could come to be saved. That's the God that we serve, folks. That's the God that we serve. And if I pass the mic around, a lot of you guys would have very similar testimonies because that's the God that we serve. He rearranges times and seasons, events, circumstances, and situations for the sole purpose of getting us where we need to be because we're the most important thing in God's mind. You and me, we are the apple of his eye, and he will rearrange everything, anything he needs to, to get us where we need to be. Praise God. And they're not coincidences. They are the hand of God in our lives. Rearranging these things for our benefit. Perhaps Naomi felt like Boaz was missing all the cues here. You know men. Men are thick. Ladies, you know this. You try to pursue us. You try to drop hints. I like you. I'd like to, I'd like to have a relationship with you. Oh, really? I had no clue. My wife could tell you stories about how thicky I was and dense. I didn't see anything. <clears throat> in any case, maybe Boaz was very similar to that. Young woman was gleaning in his fields. She was drinking from his well, eating at his table, 
and still nothing from Boaz. So Naomi, okay, we gotta we gotta take this a step farther. Told Ruth to wash, anoint herself, get dressed, and head down to the threshing floor to meet Boaz. When she arrived, she found Boaz sleeping at the end of a heap of corn. So Ruth lays at his feet, didn't touch him, left her clothes on, but laid at his feet. Boaz awoke at midnight, asked her who she was. Said she's Ruth, asked him to spread his skirt over her because he was a near kinsman. Now this is, by all accounts that I could find, equivalent to Ruth proposing marriage to Boaz. It was a proposal of marriage. Boaz's response was to thank Ruth for her kindness. And this was a kindness that Ruth was was doing, and this is why. In doing this, the property of Naomi's husband would be redeemed. It would be returned. And Boaz... Boaz wasn't a a young, strapping young lad at this point in time. He was an older gentleman. Ruth was doing this for Naomi. Boaz sent Ruth home with more barley and a promise to attend to this matter. Our faith must be accompanied by action. We understand that. When we have followed all the cues of the Lord, we must put our faith into action. As we watch God place us in favorable situations, open doors of opportunity and maneuver events like we were talking about earlier. We cannot simply just sit back and rely on God to keep doing the work. At some point in time, we've got to walk through the open door. God will open it. But we've got to walk through it. God will rearrange circumstances and situations. But we've got to act on those circumstances and situations for the glory of God. We must engage our faith by taking action. In secular terms, we must apply for the promotion. We must talk to, work with those who can help us fulfill our dreams. Faith is an action verb. We must take action on those things that we see in Scripture. We must take action when the Lord delivers unto us a promise. We must take action when God opens a door of opportunity in our lives. We've got to move. We've got to act on these things. I'm just going to continue to pray, and God's going to do a great work. Yeah, continue to pray. Definitely continue to pray. But if God's going to do a great work, folks, it's going to be through us. It's going to be through his body, his hands and feet. Jesus isn't on earth in a physical body anymore. Kind of is. In a spiritual body. Faith is an action verb. If you believe something, you're going to act on it. If you don't act on it, 
if it doesn't move you to action, maybe you don't really believe it. Boaz was aware of Ruth's sacrificial action. Maybe Boaz saw something of himself in Ruth. Because the Bible describes Boaz as a man of substance, but the text utilizes similar wording to describe Ruth as a woman of substance as well. The widow Ruth, widow Ruth had no wealth or social position. Remember, she was a Moabitess. Ugh. Yet God recognized her worth. I find it interesting that despite the fact, this is as an aside, despite the fact that the Jews were so down on Gentiles, how many times God uses Gentiles in the Old Testament to reveal truths to his people? Very fascinating to me. Boaz knew of everything Ruth had done for her mother-in-law. Uh, perhaps there were those who held negative opinions of this Moabitess, but their tune would have changed when they observed the faithfulness of Ruth as she helped her mother-in-law, Naomi. In fact, when Boaz proposed his plan to marry Ruth, he told Ruth that other people saw her as a woman of standing. Ruth 3 and 11 says this, And now, my daughter, fear not, I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. The same Hebrew phrase is used to describe the ideal wife in Proverbs 12.4 and Proverbs 31.10. A virtuous woman. When the Bethlehemites heard that Boaz would marry Ruth, they publicly proclaimed her value and her potential for more greatness. Ruth 4.11 says, And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is come into thine house like Rachel and like Leah which too did build the house of Israel, and do thou worthily in Ephrata, and be famous in Bethlehem. Well, that would come true, wouldn't it? Most assuredly. Ruth would add to this house by being in the lineage of David, and ultimately the lineage of Jesus Christ himself. She would be famous because she stepped out boldly in faith. Because she was faithful to her mother-in-law when she needed her most. Like Boaz, we must step out and seek to minister to the needs of others. We might think it's someone else's responsibility. And it's easy to rationalize and it's easy to convince ourselves of these things. There are other people that are more gifted than us. Let them deal with it. Let them take care of it. Well, yeah, maybe... Maybe there are some situations where more gifting will be required. But that doesn't eliminate our responsibility, though, either. There are still things that we can do. Talking to someone as, oh, you need a professional counsel. Well, uh, I'm going to stop talking to you. Here's a number. Bye. Mm -mm. No, there are still things that you can do. You can still make yourself available to that person. You can still love that person. You can still listen to that person. Do you realize, some of you do, but in general, the power of being heard, the power of being understood. Someone knows what I'm going through. You may not be able to relate to it, 
But you, you listened. You heard what I said. You, you know what I'm going through. There is a power in that. There's a healing in that. Just that. Just listening to someone. Being heard, being understood, being, being seen. Someone sees me. Someone sees what I'm going through. And when that person comes along, ah, it's, it's a thing, but it's going to be okay. Keep pressing them. Well, okay, but what is it? What, what, what's, what's going on? Is there anything I can do to help? I promise you, that person that's trying to get rid of you, he wants you to keep pressing. Because I'm like that. I'm speaking from experience. That's what. That's my reaction. Yeah, things are fine. It's good, but it's it's a thing. But it'll pass. I'll be okay. I'll be okay. Those kinds of people. They want you to keep pressing. They want you to get in there and find out what's going on. I don't know why I do that. It makes no sense at all. Why don't you just ask for help? Wouldn't that make sense? People aren't like that. People are weird. People are crazy. They're idiosyncratic. <clears throat> they don't. They don't make sense. So that's that's what we have to work with, folks. We just we just got to get in there. We got to keep pressing. We got to keep loving. We got to keep making ourselves available. Minister to those needs. When you do, when you do break through, and they start talking, <laughs> they might start vomiting all over you. But that's fine. Let them talk. Let them get it out. There's healing in that. There's ministry taking place right there. You don't need a degree for that. You don't need a PhD for that. You just need the Holy Ghost. You need the love of God that have brought in our hearts. That's what you need. So they can feel that. They can receive that as well. That's what will minister to the needs of people. Maybe we will have to send them somewhere else for, for more help. Maybe not, but we, we, can, we can take care of that ourselves. We can do that for anyone. God has called all of us to minister to those in need. Each and every one of us are ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we can't put the burden of ministry on one group of God's people. There are some churches, they, they place all the burden of ministry on the pastor, the leadership team. Other churches, it seems like it's the opposite. Pastor and leadership team... They just push it all on the congregation. We're all responsible. Every one of us are responsible for ministry. Every one of us are responsible to discharge the burden of ministry, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who have need. It's been placed on all of us. Amen. In conclusion, there are people hurting all around us. They're looking for a kinsman redeemer to come and redeem the lives that was taken from them, offer them protection and provision, give them a future hope of everlasting life with him, our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. He's what people ultimately need. When we're listening, when we're loving, when we're sharing, when we're ministering, ultimately we're trying to give someone Jesus Christ. We are introducing them. When they receive Jesus, folks, Jesus can take care of any need. And I don't care. 
I don't care if you think they need a, a professional counselor or not. Jesus has more wisdom and knowledge. Jesus has more power and authority than any counselor. I don't know how everyone takes that, but when it comes to me, yeah, maybe. But when it comes to God, when Jesus decides to directly intervene and heal someone, they don't need no counselor. They're not going to need anything. Jesus took care of it. Jesus heals. Jesus delivers. Jesus sets free. Amen. That's what my Bible tells me. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. He's free of a surety. He's been delivered. Alcoholic, you're an alcoholic no longer. Drug addict, not anymore. Suffering from depression? Nope. I've been set free. Jesus healed me. And he can heal anyone else too. Amen. Our kinsman redeemer. The one who will redeem us. The one who will set us free. Jesus Christ. Let's all stand. Lord Jesus, we worship you. We are so thankful that you have come to redeem us from these messes of lives that we have, we have created for ourselves. That you have come to set us free, that you have come to, to save us and deliver us, that you've come to heal us. I am so thankful, Lord Jesus, for my kinsman redeemer. I am so thankful for your so great faithfulness to me. I pray, Lord, that as we move forward in in these services, that you would continue to minister to each and every need, that your perfect will would be accomplished here. These things we ask in Jesus' name.